From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. So look at your neighbor and say, not today, Satan. <laughs> They're not calling you Satan. We're just, we're just declaring something this morning. We're in a series looking at Paul's words to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6, as he speaks of the struggles and the wrestling we face as we strive to live for Jesus. And what Paul really reveals is that behind the scenes, there are forces and entities and things at work. It's warfare. It's warfare, spiritual warfare. And it's one that manifests itself in our everyday struggles. Paul said it this way. He said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So behind the struggle, there is a spiritual reality at play and at work. And it's... It comes a point in our journey where we got to remind ourselves of this, and we do literally need to step back and say, okay, enough is enough, not today. Not today, Satan. But it's more than just a pep talk, right? It's more than just looking yourself in, the, in your bathroom mirror and saying, not today. I got it. It's more than just that. Because if we just try to do that in the moment, we'll, we'll lose footing and we'll lose ground. But God actually gives us something to equip ourselves with to prepare ourselves for this battle and something that we sharpen before we head into battle. Because if you go into battle unarmed, you're not going to do very well. But if you arm yourself before you go into battle, you'll be able to take a stand, especially against this enemy. So here's what we know so far in this, um, in this, uh, in this scripture. Number one is that this is a conflict not with people. It's not a conflict against people. It's not against your spouse. It's not against your neighbor. It's not against your coworker. It's not against your boss. That may, it may manifest itself there, but Paul is awaking us up to the fact that there's, there's more behind the curtain. Number two is this is a conflict of powerful spiritual forces, entities of position and authority in a realm that exists beyond this realm that are working against the Lord and his kingdom. Therefore, number three, we have a very real spiritual enemy. You have an enemy, an enemy of your soul made up of created beings who were designed to administrate God's rule and reign and his justice, but many rebelled. Their leader is the devil, who is a powerful master manipulator bent on destruction. Peter called him a lion, looking for those to devour. Which leads to number four, this battlefield is in the heavenly realm. This is the spiritual place where Christ dwells. Ephesians talks about this. This is where Christ is seated. It's also where our blessings are waiting for us, but it's also where spiritual forces operate. It's where the enemy is at play. And then finally, number five is the battle manifests itself in our struggles. It's fought there, but it's felt here every day. And so what does God do with this struggle? He doesn't just leave us there, but he, he provides for us equipment. 
equipment to take a stand against this enemy. But before we get into it, before we read the scripture, I want to give you a couple um, book recommendations for those of you that love to read, for those of you that do the audiobook thing. Um, just a couple things to help immerse yourself in, in kind of this kind of study. The first is this one called The Unseen Realm. It's by a Old Testament scholar named Michael Heiser. If you read this, you will never read the Bible the same again. I promise you. It's a little more scholarly. takes a little bit more attention. The chapters are short. I think there's an audiobook. You can listen to it in the car. I highly recommend it. It will open your eyes to the unseen realm. The second is a book by John Mark Comer. Some of the stuff that I shared today is actually from John Mark Comer. He's a pastor, author, writer, and this is called Live No Lies. Very easy to read, written very conversationally. It's like you're sitting across from him and he's just talking to you. And he writes about the three enemies of our soul, the flesh, the world, and the devil. I really encourage you to, to read that. Very good one. And finally, one of my favorites by C.S. Lewis, uh, The Screwtape Letters. Now, if you're unfamiliar with C.S. Lewis and his writing, his writing can be a little difficult to read. Very, some of you are nodding your heads. You've been there. But, um, but, but very good. This is a fictional account between Screwtape, who is a higher-ranking demon, writing to his nephew, Wormwood, about how to attack their patients, which is us, against their enemy, which is God. And so through that, you kind of get a little insight to how the demonic forces work. So if you're into that sort of stuff, I would encourage you to read it. And if you're like, I can't read C.S. Lewis, he's really hard. Do you know what? There are studies that actually show, just as a side note, I'm geeking out right now, but just bear with me, that when you read difficult things that are hard for you to understand, you actually exercise your mind. So I just encourage you, you want to work out a part of your body that's not your physical body? There you go. That was a freebie. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10 to 17, Paul said it this way, 18, sorry. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take a stand and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I love that last little line. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for time in worship. God, communion to unify ourselves around your sacrifice. We thank you for your word spoken, God, through the gift of tongues and interpretation, God. Thankful that we can just immerse ourselves in your presence together. And as we turn our attention, God, to the message today, would you open our ears not to just what I'm saying, God, but to what you will want to say to each of us. So we draw our attention to you, God, and we ask that you would speak. And Lord, I pray that this morning truth would soak into our minds and hearts through your Holy Spirit, who you said would guide us into all truth. And so we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit this morning and what you want to say in Jesus' name. And everyone said...
Amen. I went to a kid's birthday party the other day. My, our friend's son had a birthday party at this golf course, and in this, you know, I don't want you to call it a giant room, they have a Nerf gun arena set up, which is really cool. You go inside, you got to take off your shoes because there's like the fake turf, and you go inside, you grab a gun, some glasses, and there's these inflatables set up, and you just, you just have at it. And it was a great time, and you'd really think that this birthday party was designed for children, because it was. But I also think that they had in mind dads. Really, I really think so. I'm not saying that the moms didn't play, but not a single mom played. I'm not saying they didn't, but I didn't see. I think I saw at one point every single dad pick up a Nerf gun. And you'd think that us being the grown-up, maturing adults that we are, that we would go gently and caringly towards these children. And, you know, I'm ranging from like two to nine, ten, like younger age children, not like teenagers, not even like, maybe there might have been a preteen, I didn't notice, but like young, like half, literally half my, you think we'd be gentle. And I won't speak for everyone else, but once I had a Nerf gun in my hand and glasses on my eyes, I showed no mercy. <laughs> because these kids need to know what it means to feel pain. <laughs> and not get their way. Now, if my gun worked, then that would probably be true, but it didn't work very well, and I think I got pegged in the head like easily three times from my own children, <laughs> but probably more. And there's this moment where you're like, ooh, breathe. It was a good time, but you know what the rule was is that you couldn't go on the field, you couldn't fight in the war unless you had safety glasses and you had a Nerf gun. You had to have a both protective piece of equipment and an offensive piece of equipment. And the same is when it comes to our spiritual battle. The Lord doesn't leave us with no equipment, but he actually provides for us things that we can use at our, things that are ours, our disposal called the armor of God. Now you gotta imagine when Paul is writing this to the church in Ephesus, he's under house arrest, and there would have been guarding Paul, likely a Roman soldier. And so as he's writing this, Thinking about the spiritual battle that we are in, he has before him the perfect object lesson. He sees right in front of him a Roman soldier. And so as he writes about truth and about righteousness and about faith and about the gospel and about the, the word of God and scripture, he has a Roman soldier in mind. And so he does what every good communicator does as he uses what would be known to his readers and illustrates the spiritual truth connecting it to a very real reality. And so here's an image for you of, you know, what I looked like when I was fighting in that Nerf battle. <laughs> Just picture a Nerf gun there, and that's how I felt at least. That's how I felt, probably, how I felt. But he had in mind a Roman soldier, and, and, as, and so as he described these spiritual realities and these spiritual truths, he's illustrating using this in mind. And even as he wrote about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, he's writing in the order that a Roman soldier would have actually put these pieces of equipment on. And further still, and greater still, most of the New Testament writers, they would actually rely on the Old Testament scriptures, because that was their word. Right? That was their scripture. And so they would rely on the Old Testament scriptures. So more than just that Roman soldier, as he's penning this letter, he would have in mind the things that the prophet Isaiah was saying in, 
in, his, in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 11, speaking of the coming Messiah, Isaiah writes this, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And in chapter 59, speaking of God, who is both a judge and a rescuer, Isaiah writes this, the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. Isn't that such a beautiful line? His own arm achieved salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. So this is why Paul calls this the armor of God, because it is God's armor. This is not just something that the father leaves for his children to have. Oh, you guys need some special stuff to guard you. This is what he wears himself to sustain himself, to bring justice for himself. And this is what Jesus did as he stood against the temptation of the devil in the wilderness. He armed himself with truth. As the enemy came to lie and deceive and tempt him, he used truth from the scriptures. He used the sword of the spirit to fight against and go toe-to-toe with the enemy that he now speaks that we're against. So this is not just something he says, here you go, kids, you have. This is what he himself bears and wears. This is God's armor for a reason. Now look carefully if you see a couple times Paul says, put on the full armor of God. He doesn't just say, grab a piece, grab some glasses, grab a Nerf gun, go to battle. Hopefully you'll make it. He says, put on the full armor because every single piece is necessary because each area in our spiritual lives is susceptible to the attack of the enemy. Truth is susceptible to attack. Is what you believe really true? I don't know if you've been there. Is what I believe really true? Is this really truth? Righteousness. Are you really justified before God? Are you, are, you, are you doing the right, are you walking in right conduct? Has he, gi- has he given you his, when he looks at you, does he see Christ? Are you justified before him? Peace. Do you really find the gospel brings you peace? You really have that rest that God talks about, that Christ talks about through his work of salvation? Faith, do you really believe God can do and will do all that he says he can and will do? Salvation, are you actually saved? Or maybe you're one of the few that's going to get separated in the sheep and the goats. Each area is susceptible to attack. Each area is susceptible to a lie. And so Paul says, in this struggle, we need to put on the full armor of God. We need to prepare ourselves for action. And not just, not just truth, don't just, just, don't just learn all about the truth of God because he can attack your righteousness. And don't just walk in right conduct because he might attack your peace. And don't just search after peace, he might come after salvation. The enemy is gonna find where you're vulnerable and he's gonna attack in those areas. Where you are weak, he's going to go for. But the beautiful thing about walking as a new creation in Christ is not only does he give us this way to arm ourselves and prepare ourselves, but he actually says where you are weak, you are strong. You know that in the scriptures? 
that in your weakness, my strength shines through. And so it's funny because the enemy's like, let me get them where, I'm, where they're weak. Where do they struggle? I'm going to point on that. But if you actually trust in the Lord, you walk in, his, in faithfulness to him and put on truth and righteousness and peace and salvation, walking in the gospel of peace, bearing with yourself faith and the sword of the spirit, you can actually look at your weakness and say, oh man, you're screwed there, buddy, because you think you're going to get me there, but that's actually where God's strength shines through. The enemy thinks he's cunning, and he is, and he is very crafty, but he's not as wise as our Lord. So Paul says, put on the full armor of God. And so he begins for us today, and I want to lean on this today, is the belt of truth. It says in verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So let's talk about that. Some translations, if you have this memorized in your mind from Years ago, your translation might say, having girded your loins with truth. And that's just a beautiful translation for, for 2022, girding your loins. That just sounds like a little uncomfortable for me even to say, loins. <laughs> but there's actually, there's actually a point behind that, girding your loins. In Paul's day, Roman soldiers actually wore skirts, much like a Scottish kilt. And then over that, they wore a cloak or a tunic. At home, the tunic would be ungirded. It would hang loosely for them to relax. Much like when maybe you get home from your long day at work, you go home and what do you put on? You put on the stretchy pants, right? You put on the sweats, you relax, you take off the uncomfortable clothing and you let it just hang loose. You just, you just get comfortable. And we're going to come back to that. But when they would enter battle, when they'd go and prepare to, to stand their post or get into a conflict, they would gather the tunic around their waist and they would fasten it with a belt. They'd, they'd gird it up around their loins. And doing so would actually allow the soldier to move freely, would free up their legs so that they can move freely. They would essentially, what they do is they would strict, restrict their comfortability for the sake of being able to move freely in battle. And that's the first thing that the soldier would do. The very first thing is they would gird their loins. They would gird around them the tunic and around their waist to prepare for action. And so Paul begins here. Because we will not be able to take a stand in spiritual warfare until we've gathered around us and fastened around us truth. We will not be able to, to make a stand against this enemy in this day unless we have guarded around us, restricted ourselves in such a way that we can move freely in a time where truth is under attack. And it's so easy not to. It's much more comfortable in today's world to go with the flow, to just let your tunic hang loose, put on a stretchy pants, and do the stretchy pants dance. So much easier to just Go with the flow to let truth dangle loose. It appears to be more freeing. It's difficult. It's extremely difficult to stand and walk and fasten around yourself truth, God's truth, scriptural truth in a society that promotes untruth. It appears in our society that those who do so are restricting themselves. You may hear the claims of Many people in, in our culture that the church is too restrictive. Well, the word is too restrictive. 
And what we fail to recognize is that actually God's commands and his scriptures and his, what he puts forth for us are actually so that we can walk in true freedom. Because what the, the world calls restrictive, the devil calls enslaved. World says, well, you're, just, you're restricting my freedom. I want to be free to do whatever I want to do. Well, you're not actually free. You're actually just a slave to your sin. You're walking in less freedom. That is really the gospel truth, church, that he frees us from the power that sin has over us so we can actually have the freedom to choose not to sin, which is difficult to restrict yourselves so you can move forward more freely. But that's what a soldier in this battle does. He restricts himself so he can move more freely. What is truth? Jesus, when he stood before Pilate, the governor of Judea, just before he would be beaten and tried, and as he was beaten, being tried, before he was crucified, he proclaimed that he was here to testify to the truth. And Pilate famously remarks, what is truth? And that's still, I think, being asked today by our culture. Even more so, we've moved beyond that and we've done what Romans tells us. We've exchanged truth for a lie. Truth, by definition, is that which corresponds to reality. Truth is equal to reality. It's what we can rely on as real. Right now, this platform is real. I can rely on it to hold me up. This microphone is real. The air I'm breathing is real. Someone once said, reality is what hits you when you're wrong. If you believe you can fly and you step off a 10-story building, reality is what hits you seconds later. Truth is what is real. A lie, therefore, is what is unreal. It's unreality. When we call something a lie, we are saying that it does not correspond with reality. Saying I'm not breathing air does not correspond with reality. I can't see air. I can't feel it. Well, I can feel it in my lungs, I guess. But if I say I'm not breathing that, I'm not speaking truth speaking untruth. Right now in our culture, in our society, our world, what is true, what is real, that which corresponds with reality is under attack and it's being replaced by what is untrue. What makes a woman a woman? What makes a man a man? What defines life in a womb? When is it okay to end life because the quality of that life has run out? What is marriage? What is considered age of consent? What is appropriate, toxic, beneficial, or harmful for children to be exposed to? What is evil is said to be good by the majority, and what is good is being said to be evil by the majority. In politics, education, medicine, government, home, your workplace, everywhere, truth is under attack. So Paul, in the scriptures here, he tells us that in this war against the enemy who stands behind the scenes where you can't see with craftiness and cunning, influencing the here and now, he says, put on the belt of truth. You got to fasten around. You want to stand in this war? You want to be able to fight in this war? You want to make it on the other end? Gird yourself with truth. The first, and first thing you got to put on. When you walk out the door every day, when, not even when you walk out the door, when you open your eyes in the morning, it's truth. 
Because everywhere you go, every person you come in contact with, you will be bombarded with untruths, by lies, by deception, by messages seeking to deceive you and pull you away from what is truly reality. Why is it that Paul says this first and foremost to prepare ourselves for action, we gotta put truth? Because we are against a master manipulator who the scriptures call a murdering liar. Listen to Jesus' words. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus called him the devil, which means accuser or slanderer. That, this, that's a, we always have this nice picture of Jesus. Like we always have this, like, he's just like this, like, spiritual guru that's always just holding flowers in his hands. I don't know, just like this, this very peaceful, it's, I don't even want to say it's peaceful because it's not peaceful. But here's Jesus saying, no, he's a liar. He's a liar. And actually when he said that, he's looking at Pharisees and he's saying, you are your, of your father, the devil. Like that was Jesus's words. Looking at people who are spouting untruths and saying, you are of your father, the devil. He's a master manipulator. And so Paul says, you gotta, you gotta fasten around yourself truth. Every lie I would say in existence today, anything which is unreality, untruth, had its beginning in that spirit. The main tactic the enemy uses is weaponized ideas. that play to our disordered desires in a society that celebrates evil. M. Scott Peck, an American psychiatrist, called the devil a real spirit of unreality. And from the beginning of creation, he's been working against us. You remember the scene of Adam and Eve in the garden? They're just strolling along. Crafty little Satan comes up, serpent comes up to Eve and says, take a look at that. That's really nice fruit. Yeah, God gave, gave us that. Isn't it nice? But we can't touch those ones. Oh, why can't you touch that one? Well, it's not a good one. Ah, you'll be fine. Just touch it. In fact, when you touch it, when you eat that one, you'll be just like him. Really? Yeah. Oh, maybe I'll give it a try. He's been lying and deceiving from the beginning. And here's our problem. John Mark Comer said this. He said, our capacity to hold unreality in our minds is our genius meaning that's what separates us from animals. But it's also our Achilles heel because not only can we imagine unreality, but we can also come to believe in it. We can put our faith in ideas that are untrue or worse, that are lies. Dallas Willard, who is a great you know, spiritual thinker, he said that we truly live at the mercy of our ideas. There's a Christian monk that 300 AD, around 300 AD said that, Ideas are spiritual entities that enslave our souls. The ideas that we allow into our mind, if they are true or untrue, they give shape to our souls. They impact our actions, our behavior, what we think. It's the most powerful weapon. 
So let's suppose, for example, that you hear somewhere along your life's journey that you are unlovable. Maybe it was from a broken relationship, an authority figure, maybe a failure, maybe a demonic seed. Somewhere in your life's journey, someone told you you are unlovable. And then you let that lie into your mind and let it give shape to your behavior. Because you think that you are unworthy of love, you let people treat you that way. You let people walk over you. You let people hurt you, abuse you, disrespect you. Or maybe you act in ways that are disrespectful. And you, if you live believing long enough that that lie, that untruth begins to become your reality, your truth. Eventually, you become the kind of person who is actually not worthy of love and respect. Let's suppose, for instance, that you believe the lie that if you're vulnerable, you'll be rejected. That if you let someone in, that they'll reject you. You let that lie into your mind and give shape to your behavior eventually because you've believed in it. You, you believed you'll be rejected. You become guarded, closed off. You shut your heart down. You bar the doors. Never take chances. Never share your heart. You let no one in, no one close enough. And eventually you feel alone and isolated. If you live believing that long enough, what was untrue becomes true for you. Eventually, you become hard, hearted, calloused. See that? The enemy speaks lies and deceives us to believe these untruths that if we hold on to them long enough, they become truth for us. And that's the sad reality about Sunday morning service being the only point in which you actually receive truth. I would gather that a majority of us spend more time listening to the news than we do in the Word of God. Or maybe news, you're like, I don't know, I don't watch the news. I'm a millennial. <laughs> I'm on social. This is me scrolling. Or Netflix, or Prime Video, or name your medium of message. You hear it often enough, whatever the message is, eventually it becomes your truth. And so then when you come back to the word or maybe you come on a Sunday and you hear something from the pulpit, someone shares over communion, you're like, I don't know if I believe that. Why? Because you've taken untruth and made it your truth. Because the majority of your life has been spent listening to those messages and not the truth of God. I think this is why Paul says to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 12, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have the capacity within us to believe lies and let them become true for us. So I think Paul had in his mind, do not believe the untrue ideas that are spread throughout our culture, that do not correspond with what is real, but allow God's truth to fill you in such a way that it renews your thinking. So what does Paul have in mind when he says to stand then firm against this enemy by putting on truth? Invite the worship team to come. Jesus said this. Well, let me say this. We stand, we stand firm. This is what Paul had in mind. We stand firm by being gripped by the truth that is in Jesus. 
Truth, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say is not an idea, it's a person. Truth is not a concept. It's not something that's just written in a book. It is a person. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth. That's a bold claim. That's a bold claim that when you put your faith in Jesus, you put your faith in that truth. You sided yourself with that claim. He said this, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what? Untruth. Unreality. Ephesians chapter 4, earlier, Paul said to, in this letter, verse 17 to 21, he said, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Does that not describe part of our culture? And then he says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Truth is not an idea, it's a person. And his name is Jesus. How do, you, how do you stand on guard against this enemy? You fasten around yourself, Christ. We stand in the fight by letting the truth that is Jesus shape our vision of life. We stand by seeing life from his perspective. If he is the author of life, therefore he should determine what life should be and look like. If he is the creator of all life, he determines, he defines what is reality. Not the biggest voices or the collective group in our culture. We stand by having truth grab us at every level of our being, our mind, our soul, our body. We stand by letting God's word, what he's spoken, be the foundation and the final authority in all matters to life. You hear something out there, you go, wait, pause. Let me go back to this and just double check. I wanna make sure my foundation is on the truth. We stand by committing to know truth, to speak truth and to live truth. We are less likely to become enslaved by deceptive lies and untruths and unreality when we choose to fasten around ourselves Christ. But we will fall victim and you will become enslaved when you exchange truth for a lie. So we fasten around ourselves God's truth. He's the final authority on all matters. Salvation. What is good? What is evil? He defines what is sin, not the world. The world cannot define sin because sin is anything, anything that goes against what God says, what God has for you, what God wants for your life. 
He's the only one that can define that. Marriage, he created it, he designed it, he purposed it. He defines what it is. Purity. If he, if he created and designed sex and sexuality to be this holy thing for his creation, he get to, gets to define what is true and what is untrue about it. What is, what is reality and what is unreality? Sexuality, gender, human life, conception to the grave, holiness, who you are, both in your sin and in your value. Because he knows all. He sees all. Jesus claimed to be one who is full of truth, to testify to the truth, and to be the truth. You want to know why I trust him? The author of salvation. Because God doesn't just stand back and say, here's life. You know, here's all the things you need. We just went as a family to this planetarium and we saw all the stars and the galaxies. It was really cool. He didn't just set up in life the, the laws of, of nature and in the universe to govern and say, have fun. Oh, you fell and you're broken. You, you messed up my evil world. Well, <laughs> fix it. Gave it to you. He didn't just say that. He says, no, I'm going to find a way. And I found a way. I'm going to come. I'm going to die on the cross to make a way for you. He's the God who created it and then made a way through it. Created life. We broke through sin, through disobedience, rebelled. And he's like, it's okay. I'm coming. And I came and I died and I gave my life for you as a sacrifice to cover sin, to fix what was untrue and to show you what is true, to free you from what is unreality, to bring you towards what is true reality. That's what communion is today. It's a way of remembering what is true. So here's my challenge for us today to grow in truth. Practically and spiritually, number one is read the word or listen to the word. Study the word. Get it in you. Because I can tell you right now, the devil knows it better than you. And so he'll use it against you. And that is a scary thought to know that the enemy, our spiritual enemy, knows the scripture and will manipulate it and twist it to deceive you. So you need to get it in you. I don't care how you get it in you. Get it in you. Post it on your wall. Put it in your car as you're listening and driving to work. Write it on your hand, the thing. That, so when you're working and you're doing life, you can be reminded of the truth. Get it in you. Number two is be in prayer. Be in God's presence. The more you immerse yourself in the presence of God, the more you surround yourself with him, the more you will find yourself standing on his truth. Number three is be deliberate and intentional about the voices and the messages you surround yourself with. If you're spending hours on social media, it's actually an addiction. Maybe you need to seek some help because it's not just something that takes away hours of your life, but it actually feeds you messages. What are you watching? I came from the generation where my parents like were like to an extreme restrictive degree, 
cared about what I watched and viewed and listened to. And I remember as I became a young adult, I was like, well, it's not big of a deal, mom, dad. You know, I know how to determine. I know what is right and I know what is wrong. And so I can weed through. And that was true for that season, but now I'm coming to the other end. I got my own kids. And I know how easily they are manipulated by what they receive. And then I look at adults and I watch people who once walked with the Lord, who once went to Bible college, posting things and sharing things that are completely contradictory to God's word. Where do they get that from? The library of choice, which is Netflix or Prime Video or the news outlet that you choose. Be intentional and deliberate about the messages you choose to receive and guard yourself the way you would guard a child. Because maybe the, the enemy works in very clear black and white ways against kids, but with you, he likes to wade you in the gray zone. That's why when we talk about discernment, we don't say discernment is what is between what is right and what is wrong, but what is right and what is almost right. Because the enemy will never steer you to what is wrong. He steers you to just a little bit away from what is true. So be deliberate. Number four is surround yourself in faith community that speaks truth and love. Get in community that aligns itself with values that you align yourself with in the, in the word of God. Because bad company corrupts good morals, as scriptures say. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how often you pray. You will become the people you surround yourself with. That's just, that's just nature. It just will happen. So surround yourself in faith community. Number five, if you see or hear something, wherever, immediately ask yourself, what does God's word say about this? And don't assume you know it, look for it. Because sometimes I'll see things posted or shared and it's as if it's God. Share this and because God's gonna do this if you don't and you know, uh, no. Go back to the word. Wait a second, pause. I want to make sure that's right. Even what I'm saying, can you just go back to the word of God? Like, don't trust everything that comes out of my mouth. I'm human. I'm, infa I'm fallible. This is infallible. I make errors. This doesn't. Wait a second. Is, is what Pastor Call talked about true? <laughs> Let me dig in. And guess what? It's going to take more than a moment. You're going to have to dig in. You're willing to allow us to not just believe what, yes, because I'm a person like you. Feed yourself truth. The team's going to lead us in amazing grace again because it just speaks truth in just a moment. But I want to tell you a quick story. I was in Bible college and, and our professor in one class, I think it was my world religions class. We we're studying world religions. And he shared the story of a banquet he was at. You know, much like any banquet, there's the round tables and then you sit around the table and you have the meal and participate in the activity. And sometimes you never know who you're going to be seated with. And he happened to be seated next to a gentleman who was a counterfeit bill expert. And so as they got to talking, he said, well, how do you, how do you know? How do you know the real from the fake? Like, what do you look at? What do you study? And he says, do you know what I do? He's like, I never study counterfeit bills. Never. I study the real ones in and out, back and front, fully, so that when a fake comes along, I know it like that. 
And the same is true when it comes to truth. You don't learn the truth by studying what is untrue. You learn the truth of God by studying what is true. And listen, some of you are incredibly wise people. You got good head on your shoulder, got some great experience, but you can be easily deceived. And so it's so important that we immerse ourselves in the person that is true, and that is Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you just before the team leads us. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? You know, if you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you've taken a little bit of a step back and you've walked away for a, for a while. I've been there and, and something is just tugging at your heart. God's tugging at you today and you feel like you need to make a commitment to Christ as your Lord and Savior. Nobody's looking around. Would you just raise your hand? I want to make a commitment today to Jesus as my Lord. I want to identify as a follower of Christ. And if you're online, this is for you too. Maybe you're listening. Maybe you're listening to the podcast later on. Today, you can make a commitment to Christ. If you're here today, maybe you've believed some lies. Maybe you've believed some untruths and God's been speaking very clearly to you this morning. I just, just want to pray for you. Maybe you need some strength to say, do you know what? I've been deceived a little bit. I've been hanging on to a lie. Maybe, maybe about culture. Maybe about church. Maybe about yourself. If that's you, just raise your hand. Maybe you believe that you're unlovable. Not good enough. Don't have anything to offer. Well, you are an image bearer of God. We tell you we were created in him in his image. He loves you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Thank you. Father, you just see, God, those here today who desire to make a commitment to you, even those within the sound of my voice online, God, they want to make a commitment to you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray in Jesus' name right now that you'd enter their hearts and their minds. Spirit, you'd come and take residence in their being. May they make that decision to follow you as Lord of their life from this day on. You saw the hands, Lord, of those who have been deceived. I think we all have to various degrees, Lord. We've accepted untruths, lies, and it shaped our behavior, our action, our thinking. Help us to renew our minds this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you reveal those truths right now? Would you reveal the truth to those individuals very clearly? that they could hang their hat on the truth of Christ in Jesus' name. And they could replace, Lord, the lie that is in their mind with the truth of God. That they are loved. That you are true and real. Speak truth to them in Jesus' name. And for all of us, Lord, I pray. I pray, God, that you would very clearly reveal to us areas that we've been easily manipulated and deceived. Bring us back to your word and into your presence. God, help us to immerse ourselves, God, in all that you are, Jesus. So much like that counterfeit bill expert, we could walk in our world not being deceived easily because we stand on and know the truth. 
Lord, your word says those who take my words and put them into practice are like the person who built a house on the rock. And when the storm of life came and it rocked the house, they stood strong because they trusted in your words. Let us be like those people. You are a rock, Jesus. You are a truth. You are the truth. And we come to the Father through you. We bless your mighty name in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.